everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Hi everyone, I'm Paul White and you're listening to my sauntering podcast and I've had a couple of looks at the topic of mental health, particularly in the post-Covid era where mental health seems to be a massive issue. Um, And this concerns me because I think it's something that God wants to speak into, but I think it's important as well that we have his perspective on it rather than a kind of popular, um, I don't know, just popular psychology type of idea running around in our heads that might be all to do with catchphrases and so on. So one such catchphrase has to be the pursuit of happiness. And the UN in 2011 um, adopted a resolution, or in 2012 they adopted a resolution based on one they'd adopted in 2011, which was that um, March the 20th would be henceforth the International Day of Happiness, which (laughs) sounds like a wonderful day where everyone's super happy and everything's perfect. Um, And it kind of puts its reasoning into these following words. It says that it invites member states to pursue the elaboration of additional measures that better capture the importance of the pursuit of happiness and well-being in development with a view to guiding their public policies conscious that the pursuit of happiness is a fundamental human goal. And so what they're saying is we want you guys, you you member states, to implement policies and come up with great ideas about how you can make your people more happy and able to fulfil their own pursuit of happiness better because the pursuit of happiness is a common, is a fundamental human goal. So that means it's foundational to our very existence this idea that we are in pursuit of happiness or that we should be. And so uh, it does sound wonderful, doesn't it, that everyone would be happy. And obviously then that would make us think that mental health issues are all over and done with because everybody's happy and things are great. Um, And so we start to think about, okay, then, What is happiness? Well, there's an interesting, there's another little interesting statement that kind of gets bandied around quite a lot. And it's that everyone deserves to be happy. And I found this blog by a chap called Mr. Bashful. And he says, happiness is not a reward for being nice. It's a birthright. The worst human beings you can think of deserve their fingers, their bladder, their nose, 
and their happiness. So do you. If you lost your happiness, you deserve to be happy again. So Mr. Bashful is saying that they deserve, it's a universal human right to have be entitled to happiness. And so, but he doesn't even use the word entitled, he uses the word deserve, so that everyone deserves happiness. And we often hear people say that, don't we? Oh, they deserve to be happy. Oh, it's lovely because they deserve to be happy. And then I start to think, well, hold on, does everybody deserve to be happy? Because when we put the word deserve in there, we're not just saying that it's legitimate and it's kind of basic for us to pursue happiness, but it's actually something we each one deserve. And I kind of think, wow, how does that how does that line up with Jesus? How does that line up with being a disciple of Jesus? And in my role as somebody who's called to make disciples of Jesus, I want to understand these things. And so I've been thinking a bit about them, thinking about what Jesus said. So <laughs> everyone deserves to be happy. Just think about that for a minute. What about the mean and nasty evil villains that we all know of, know something of, like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Pol Pot, and these people who've done the most incredible atrocities and deeply scarred the whole psyche of nations and generations carry the scars left by these evil individuals. And you could say that they were just pursuing happiness, their own happiness. It just happened for them to be happy. They needed to be the evil arch villain who ruled the world. And so could we possibly say that they deserve to be happy? I don't think we can put the word deserve in there. I think <laughs> it makes it moral and it makes it difficult. So it's difficult to really hold that one. So sorry, Mr. Bashful, I do disagree with you about that. I think you have, if you have lost your happiness, that is a very sad place to be and there is a way to recover it. But I doubt very much if it is in the pursuit of happiness itself. So Jesus came and as he began to teach, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The spirit of God is upon upon me. I'm anointed. That's what my name Christ means. I'm anointed to bring good news to the poor. Right. Good news means if you're poor, something's going to change. Things are going to get better. And we could just assume the very fact that Jesus has mentioned that these people are poor, that it must have some implication. This good news must have a bearing on their economic well-being and their chance of survival surely it can't just be that you're gonna have a nice wafty feeling or that when you die you're going to be in heaven and all this suffering will be over although we do believe in an end to the suffering when we die and entering into God's eternal kingdom and so on but there has to be when Jesus says I've come to bring good news to the poor. You wouldn't have to preach that kind of good news to many people to discover that it wasn't very good news at all, that they were just going to have a war, and they wouldn't be interested. They would say, I'm not buying, I'm not, I'm not. Instead of that, what Jesus did was he brought 
a demonstration of the love of God and the power of God that directly connected with the poor, so much so that they followed him around in great big crowds. And when Jesus began to teach on the, on the side of the mountain, and we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus began to teach the Beatitudes, he said certain things. He said, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. In Luke, he said, blessed are you who are poor. And he looks at them and he says, blessed. Well, blessed is a word that is actually synonymous with happiness. And it's, it means that God's favour and kind of goodness is pouring into your life. But it's bringing happiness and well-being and the things that the UN rightly want for people. It's bringing that into your life. So Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor. He said, blessed are you um, who are hungry now, for you will be filled, and so on. And he picks out people who one would think, naturally speaking, were least positioned to be happy. And he says, you're going to be happy because I'm here and I'm bringing in my kingdom, my father's kingdom, and everything is going to change. So... Does that mean then that if we follow Jesus, everything suddenly comes right and we're perfectly happy and blissful forevermore? Well, actually, if we read a bit further on, we read Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, listen, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to adopt my way of life, then you will need to take up your cross and follow me. He said, you'll have to deny yourself, which means you're going to have to put yourself not as first choice anymore, but you're going to actually have to make decisions that will cost you, and they're going to cost you your comfort. He had one guy who came to him, and he said, oh, master, I'm going to follow you, and Jesus said, great, good, and he said, but let me tell you something, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes to lie in. But the son of man, that was Jesus talking about himself. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> so that's not exactly a great selling point, is it? Come with me and we'll stay in the best hotels. We'll eat the best food. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, come with me and you're not going to know where you're going to be sleeping tonight. We may get lucky and someone may give us a bed for the night or we may be sleeping on the side of the road or in a barn somewhere, tucked up in the hay. <laughs> so Jesus started his whole life lying in hay, so I guess it wasn't such a massive drama for him to be sleeping in some more. He had the uh, rich young ruler who came to see him, and the rich young ruler said, oh, master, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, OK, brilliant. Now go out and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, he didn't say that to every single person, so don't panic. But he did say it to the rich guy and he did say to his disciples, do you know what, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to come into the kingdom of heaven, come into the kingdom to understand the kingdom of God. Wow, this is, this is, for, this is a big deal. And so he's saying to the rich guy, do you know what? The thing that you put all your confidence in for happiness, that thing called wealth has to go in order for you to follow me. And what he's really saying is, 
as you let go of putting your your stake and your great hope in all of this wealth, and you put your hope in me, you will have access to a whole host of joy and stuff that you could not have imagined. So Jesus goes on to teach and he says, he says, look, uh, the pagans run after these things like what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and what are we going to wear? Now, if we look at social media and advertising, we could make the assumption that true happiness is found in eating in the right restaurants or eating the right kind of food or having this beautiful balanced diet or eating this lovely organic salad over here (laughs) or eating if you're a a carnivore eating this lovely juicy dripping steak that's where happiness is now there is a pleasure isn't there in eating food and eating good food but is that what constitutes happiness what we eat drinking what we drink um i got sent a picture just a couple of days ago of a bottle of champagne on sale in london somewhere for 750 pounds And you kind of think, wow, if I moved in those circles and I could drink that kind of champagne. And we all know that champagne doesn't keep. So it would have to be drunk in one go by yourself and your little party of select friends and very fashionable people. And then I would be truly happy. That was short. And we see the advertising pictures, don't we? This gorgeous lady wearing this beautiful dress and she's perfectly accessorized and she's absolutely toned and elegant and perfectly proportioned and she wafts onto the screen and the lights are perfect and then you realize she's wearing Dior and you think no wonder she's happy no wonder she's beautiful she's wearing this beautiful perfume and then we see this handsome guy with lovely chiseled features and he's looking at his Rolex watch or maybe he's driving his powerboat through the waves and they're bouncing on these waves and the spray is flying up and the sun's streaming in it's beautiful camera angles and the gorgeous colors and you think yeah now that that guy must be happy to have that powerboat to be that good looking to be in that glorious sunny place and we kind of and we it's very very easy because of the effort and the money that goes into advertising, creating these images, it's very easy to assume then that that thing is going to make me happy. When Jesus said, do you know what? Don't go running after these things. That's what the pagans do. He says, don't you know? Why do you worry about these things? What you're going to eat? What you're going to drink? What you're going to wear? He says, don't you know that your heavenly father feeds the sparrows? Don't you know that your heavenly father clothes the lily and makes it so beautiful? Don't you realise that's him? And don't you realise how precious you are to him? Why don't you let him be your provider? And so Jesus is saying, if you will follow me and come into my kingdom, come into where I am king, this source of provision will be yours He says the pagans, they run after these things. And that idea there is that one of pursuit. So the pagans, the people who don't know God is what Jesus is using that language. He's saying these are the outside people, the people who haven't come into my kingdom. He said they run after these things. 
and they pursue them. Um, sad story. Um, years ago, before I was married, I moved into a house with a friend. He just bought this house and he wanted me to come in and live there with him to help him pay the mortgage off. And it was all blue <laughs> inside and it was like being inside a glacier. It was freezing cold. The walls were mouldy and it, everything was painted the same colour blue. And it turned out that it had belonged to an old couple. And this old guy had worked all his life in the Midlands somewhere for a tobacco firm, Will's Tobacco. And he'd faithfully saved and saved and saved and he was going to buy a little house and retire to the country with his wife. Which is what they did. They bought this little house. I guess they could only afford blue paint and they painted the whole house blue and it was nasty. And <laughs> they lived there for a couple of years. They, his wife hated it so much. She moaned and moaned and nagged and nagged until he sold the house and they moved back to the Midlands to where he'd come from. And it just seems to me like this guy spent his whole life in pursuit of a dream to live in the countryside. He was not a wealthy guy. He was never going to be wealthy, but he was frugal and he spent all his life sacrificing to buy this house in the country. And when he got there, he took himself and his wife. And that was what was making him unhappy where he was, I guess. He took himself into that environment and it didn't make him happy at all. So he he ran after these things, but he didn't. He pursued happiness, but it escaped him in the end. And so this is oh, it's really sad, isn't it? So when we make the mistake of running after these things, thinking that they're going to make us happy, we're making a big mistake. But Jesus says to his disciples when he calls them, he says, follow me. He's not saying follow a new religion, follow a new school of thought, follow a new philosophy, embrace my greatest, you know, kind of seven uh, perfect truths to be happy and successful. He doesn't, he didn't say follow this new school of thought. He says, follow me. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's following him and who's pursuing him. And walking with him day by day by day. And our job, Paul says, is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step. So we're pursuing him. The Israelites, when they lived in the wilderness, they pursued the cloud. What was the cloud? The cloud was a visible representation of the presence of God. And they pursued the cloud. They stayed with it. When the cloud moved, up they went and they moved with it. Why did they do that? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Where Jesus is, everything is all is going well. Do you know what I mean? It's, he's the one to hang out with. He's the one to be with. When Jesus turned up on the scene, everything changed. And the party really got started. If we look at the word pursue in the New Testament, it's very interesting because Paul, he's just written this beautiful chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's just a monument of writing, isn't it? And everyone loves it. They read it at weddings. But then the first verse of chapter 14, he says, pursue love. He says, here you are. I've laid out for you what love looks like. 
pursue that, go after that. Well, the love that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 13 is not selfish. It says it, love is not selfish. It's not going after my own happiness. I'm not pursuing my own happiness. I'm pursuing the well-being and the favour for somebody else. I'm giving myself to another person. The kind of love that God has for us is the love that gives himself away. And Paul's saying, I want you to pursue that love. Now, let me just pause for a moment. In our modern thinking, they deserve to be happy or the pursuit of happiness is used as a justification for many things that have lots of painful knock-on implications for other people. So, for example, I'm not happy in this marriage. I deserve to be happy. I am going to leave this marriage and have begin a new relationship with this person over here who is also married to somebody else. But we deserve to be happy, so it will be okay. And the rationale that is fed to our children is, oh, don't you want daddy to be happy? Because I'll be a much better daddy if I'm happy. And so the pursuit of happiness leaves the child with what <laughs> our educationalists call an ace, which is an adverse childhood experience called divorce. And it has a massive impact on a young person's life when their parents leave. Leave aside the parent who's been left. And so it may be that the um, wife or the mother of the children is saying, do you know what? I need to be happy. I, I'm going to now move in with this other lady and we're going to be you're going to have two mums, but because I deserve to be happy, you'll find a way through this, kids. You'll come to terms with it in the end, and kids are resilient, and you'll adjust to it. Do you know what? The pursuit of happiness can be an incredibly negative thing when you're a child, and your parents are pursuing their own happiness at your expense. And so let's just think about these things before we say it. Let's let's think about what it means when we say they deserve to be happy. Oh, that's fine. They des no. This is not fine. There is a different kind of um pursuit that God has called you and I into as a disciple of Jesus and it's not the pursuit it's not to pursue our own selfish happiness, but it's to seek first his kingdom. He says to his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first, first the kingdom of God. I'm not pursuing my own happiness. I'm pursuing his kingdom, his righteousness. What is righteousness? It's a word that gets chucked around in Christian circles all the time. His kingdom means basically his value system and his priorities happening on the earth. So in the Lord's Prayer, it says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's God's will being done on the earth as it is in heaven. So it's 
is done perfectly in heaven. And Jesus is saying, we need to, you guys need to be praying that that will begin to happen where you are on the earth, in your family, in your place of work, in your sphere of influence. But what is righteousness? So he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. His righteousness is living in accordance with the value system that exists in the heart of God. So for you and I, our job is to pursue his kingdom, your kingdom come on earth as it is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and to pursue his righteousness. So where I'm saying, God, let your righteousness be the, uh, you know, the governor in my life. Let that be the determining factor. And if we ever look at the word pursue in the New Testament, it has its it's almost always in relation to the bigger picture and other people and how our lives impact on other people. Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In, in Romans, he says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Thessalonians, he says, make sure that no one repays evil for evil. Always pursue what is good for one another and for all people. And so there is this sense that the happiness and the joy of God's kingdom and the blessing of knowing him comes as we live this life of pursuing Jesus, pursuing his kingdom laying down sometimes our own needs and wants and preferences in our own desires, fleeing our youthful, uh, our youthful desires, Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. And yet the, the kind of thinking out there which says, oh, the pursuit of happiness is so important. The pursuit of happiness, Paul says, no, actually, don't pursue Run away from your your youthful desires and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the, the Lord out of a pure heart. And just to finish off, I, I found a track on YouTube by Kid Cody and it's called The Pursuit of Happiness. And he's the, the, the video is of this party with lots of drunkenness and people taking substances, and yet they're all very fashionably dressed, they're all very beautiful, and they're all smiling and popping champagne. Like It looks like they're having a great time, and yet there's a very sad, dark undercurrent to the video. And he says, I'm on the pursuit of happiness. <clears throat> I know everything that shine ain't always gold. I'll be fine once I get it. I'll be good. And he's saying, actually, I know, even as I'm writing these words, that this is not the truth. This is this stuff, pursuing stuff, putting things up my nose, in my arm, drinking stuff. That isn't going to make me happy. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God bless you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, in your presence, is fullness of joy. And we want to understand what it is to be filled with joy. Like Peter says, that joy unspeakable, full of glory, 
Lord, we want to be full of joy and yet we want to be running after you and pursuing you and trusting you for our happiness and trusting you for all the things that we need. So help us, Lord, to live this revolutionary radical life in Jesus name. Amen.